Hey friends, welcome to YYZ Podcast. My name is Melissa and I will be your host as we talk, you guessed it, all things Toronto. So let's get started. All right, so today in things that nobody thought that they needed, the TTC is creating an Instagram account. So next time you're waiting for the streetcar or waiting for the bus, which is probably delayed or bunched up with six going in the opposite direction from you. No, if you ask, I'm not bitter about it, whatever. I'm looking at you, Dundas Streetcar. Anyways, the TTC has now lost, lost, wow, Freudian slip, has now created its own Instagram account with the very savvy and millennial sounding at TTC Insta. Personally, I would have just gone with at TTC, but maybe that was taken. Who knows? I'm not their brand manager, so I don't know. Not a big deal, I suppose. But I don't know. Is this something that people really were missing? Is this what we needed? I mean, it could be something good as a distraction if you want to look at image of the TTC looking great. I'm looking at their post so far, averaging around, uh, let's say, two to three hundred likes depending on the day. Let's see if they can keep up this momentum and avoid trolls commenting under their photos when the transit is inevitably delayed. But you know what? If this means a step into the 21st century, I'd rather it actually be an investment into the transit system itself. But hey, I guess Instagram is free and everybody likes free things, right? the theme for this week is just going to be things that nobody knew that they needed in Toronto. I should preface this by saying I've only ever eaten at this establishment once and it was not by choice but needless to say that's all the defense I have and so without further ado Toronto is apparently getting a licensed Taco Bell. That's right so apparently I've said apparently twice already Okay. Taco Bell is opening a West End location with a liquor license. Wow. I mean, I feel like, do people eat Taco Bell in public? Is this something that you do? I thought you would eat Taco Bell in the comfort of your own home at like 4 a.m. on a Saturday night. Well, I guess that's Sunday morning, but who's counting really? Anyways, now with a side of whatever they serve there, cheesy gordita crunch or... Um, what's what the Cool Ranch Dorito Taco, which people were going insane about, you can now get some alcohol with it. I feel like Taco Bell is already such a strain on the stomach that mixing alcohol might be a recipe for disaster. But at the same time, it's Taco Bell. You know what it was when you signed up, to quote Drake. And there's nothing more fitting than processed cheese with a side of beer. I feel like they're probably going to serve the type of beer that you would expect them to serve, which is probably going to be like Pilsner. You know what? That would be the appropriate thing to do. I think they should match Taco Bell with the appropriate type of beers, which would be like an old Milwaukee, just that Pilsner that everyone buys with the white, green, and like red, yellowish can. Probably a Labatt 50 would go well with Taco You know what? They should really adopt this and just go with a full-scale menu pairing. They should have a beer sommelier who just recommends 
based off of your Cool Ranch tacos, the certain type of beer that you need. I hope this is an avenue that they are considering exploring because the opportunities are endless. Well, I guess the toilet would be the end, but whatever. Okay, so continuing on the theme of things that we certainly didn't really think we needed again, Tim Hortons has thrown its hat into the ring. I need to preface this whole thing by saying there is a time where the big box store for a lot of people was the epitome of convenience and I wouldn't say luxury, but if you look at somewhere like Sears, which dominated the market for a number of years before eventually declining and seeing how many different brands have called it quits recently. Payless is going out of business, I think, in the States. I can't remember if it's going out of business here. Black's, the camera and photography place is out of business. Danier Leather went out of business. Sears basically went to an online-only catalog and I'm pretty sure is completely out of business in the States. Zeller's, key example there. Anyways, I could go on and on, but in a lot of ways, the era of the big box store has passed for the most part with a lot of things moving online. And also, as we know, because I rant about it pretty much every week, real estate being super expensive and a lot of overhead. Oh my gosh, can't forget Target literally making a hot, hot mess of its operations when it tried to come into Canada, but that's another topic for another day. Also, pretty much the case study at every business school ever. Anyways, tangent, all this to say, now a lot of people see the merit in supporting smaller and independent businesses where you can see the effects of the community or support people who are residents and the money's not going back to a head office in the United States or the UK or wherever. People want to see the direct effects or know that places that they support are ethical and care about the environments and the things that they're putting forth. So with that said, a lot of companies are now investing in corporate social responsibility, meaning they're trying to partner with good causes. A good example of that would be Dawn with their animal wildlife assistance thing with the whole oil spills. But aside from this corporate social responsibility, a lot of brands are trying to mimic that of independent stores. I would say Second Cup went through a whole rebranding to look like a more modern independent coffee place despite still being a chain. And honestly, I don't think I've gone to Second Cup since they did the whole rebrand. But to be honest, I don't think I've gone to Second Cup for years prior to that either. All that to say, whatever, I might be a snob, but if I do drink coffee, which I don't do more than a couple times a week, just because I don't metabolize it well, aka sometimes I get shaky and don't feel great, then I tend to go to independent spots just because the coffee quality tends to be better, the experience is more personalized, and there really is something about having a neighborhood coffee shop where you see the same people and they get to know you even if it's just in a brief exchange or something about that so timmy hose as i affectionately like to call them tried to trick some people and i actually walked past this uh probably a week or two ago they purchased or i guess did some type of pop-up on west queen west and basically there was just a storefront with a white minimal um, what's that thing called? I'm blanking. I don't know. Logo 
on the front of the building that said perfectly uncomplicated logos, which is very consistent with a lot of trendy restaurants that use a very minimal style or that often keep the old look of the business up. So only if you're in the know, you'll know. You can look at Dundas West for a lot of places that do this. Or the name of the restaurant will be in such tiny font that once again, you have to really know to know where you're going. Anyways, Tim Hortons created this pop-up called Perfectly Uncomplicated Lattes, which seen from the outside like an independent coffee shop, it looked very starkly decorated in whites and minimalists, which is very on trend right now in Toronto. And surprise, surprise, the perfectly uncomplicated latte, well, they wouldn't win any awards for the naming, but anyways, actually turned out to be a Tim Hortons social experiment thing in which it serves lattes for, I think it was $2.50 and using quote-unquote steamed 100% Canadian milk the perfect latte. It's perfectly uncomplicated. It's fresh ground premium espresso beans. It's steamed 100% Canadian milk. It's one size and an affordable price. Just say latte. I mean, points for, I don't know. I can't even give points for trying. It's so try-hardy. They have these lounge chairs. They have these stools or I guess coffee table-like things made out of reclaimed wood with succulents on it. So I would liken this to being such a huge culture vulture in the sense of trying to mimic what are actually independent coffee shops and to hide behind this faux moniker, which they probably thought was super clever. And I mean, from a marketing perspective, it's probably fun. But from an eye-rolling perspective, ugh, Like, honest to God, I just feel like the customer base for someone who wants a latte versus the customer base for someone who wants a a double-double isn't necessarily the same, and that's fine. For Tim Hortons, literally, like, if I'm on a road trip or, I don't know, like, I'm at an appointment and I'm starving and I'm not near anything, I might go grab just, like, a peppermint tea or something like that, but if I really want a latte... I would not really want it at Tim Hortons. And obviously, I'm only speaking for myself, but at the same time, I just feel like anyone who's a real latte consumer isn't necessarily a Tim Hortons latte consumer. And I guess their point is to try to turn the tide, but I can't see too many people who have a really good local coffee shop. And there are a lot, in fact, probably too many around the city being swayed by some faux attempt at a fake coffee shop that's really just a Tim Hortons in disguise. But if this is just a temporary marketing exercise, I could see it drumming up some interest. But at the same time, it's just kind of like a sneaky way to go about it, which is a little side-eye worthy. Uh, But, you know, with that being said, in Hypocrites Are Us news, I am kind of curious about the latte because if they're doing all of this... Is it even good? Like, I just feel like it'd be mediocre. Honestly, I'm not even that curious. If someone gave it to me in a blind taste test, I'd be curious. But I don't know. I'm not going to really go out of my way, considering I've had many a good latte outside of Tim Hortons. So it looks as though the government has finally listened. I don't think I could count how many think pieces and articles over the past year that have 
discussed the rental market, the housing market, real estate. Today I saw an article about a house, I think it was in Forest Hill maybe, that sold for 900000 over asking, almost a million dollars over asking. And yeah, I mean, that would still be terrible in and of itself. But with that comes the rental market that's also affected by this as far as also the 1999 loophole or 1991, sorry, loophole that basically said that after 1991, there's no rent protection. So your landlord could increase your rent by any amount per year, 100%, 50%, whatever. And these were the issues that, in essence, were, or I think are at the top of a lot of people's minds because if you don't have a livable city, a place where people can find affordable, safe housing, then how are you supposed to have people who can accurately contribute to the economy? Or let's say, you know, I think I've said this before, if someone has to commute two hours out of the city to be able to find an apartment, then are they going to be spending money on restaurants? Are they going to be spending money on shows? Or if they're paying 60% of their income to live in the downtown core and they can barely squeeze any dollars out for anything outside of rent, is that a livable city? Like, how is someone's mental health going to be if they can't afford to leave the house or go see a movie? Or not that everyone needs to eat out and do this and that every single day, but to some extent, if you're paying a significant portion of your income on rent, you're stressed and you can't enjoy your life in the way that you should be able to. And people have been calling for the government to make moves on this for a while. And I think in the last year or so, or the last even, I would say, six months, it's really ramped up. We saw first in Vancouver, they implemented a foreign buyer's tax. And Ontario decided to follow suit in addition to a number of other measures. So now the province is looking to expand rent control to buildings after 1991, which means people who live in new builds. And if you look at Toronto, most of the things in the core that are going up are condos. So it makes sense to expand rent control, meaning that something that'd be governed by an annual rent guideline to expand to buildings that are built after 1991, especially we're in 2017. So that's kind of a very arbitrary end date. Also, the government is looking into a standardized lease document for all tenants, which could be helpful when someone's trying to inflict some type of weird non-legal things on you, because if you're not informed as a tenant, then you might get screwed over. Also, a ban on flipping pre-construction units by real estate speculators, review of rules governing real estate agents. There have been a lot of cases where real estate agents, I I think it was like basically they're just giving people sketchy advice in order to... I can't remember. But anyways, this would be helpful because, you know, if people are not acting in the interest of people who are trying to buy or attempting to put in these bully offers so that the price can be driven up or this, then the other, it's just not good for anyone. So this is going to be a very comprehensive change and it will take a little bit to see the effects, but I'm curious to see the impacts that this will have. Definitely welcome for people who rent, which is a lot of people as far as the 1991 loophole and just interesting and good to see the government taking action. I mean, at this point, if you're looking at a semi in High Park that's going for like $2 million, I don't know how many of us at these salaries will ever be able to afford a house anyway. So to some extent, it's kind of like, well, whatever. Ownership isn't necessarily 
accessible for everyone at this point anymore unless you got in earlier or are willing to buy a condo. So to that end, it's kind of like, uh, but you know, something is always better than nothing. And another side note, I emailed my MPP about this on March the 8th and never received a response. So cool. Okay, so musically, I basically have two modes. Number one, super ahead of the game or number two, madly. There is no in-between for me. And in this case, there's a lot of people I feel like musically who float around my musical universe that people tell me to listen to or that I'll see their stuff. But for whatever reason, I just don't actually end up listening to it, even though I keep meaning to. Also, because I've just been in that phase, which kind of takes me back to the days of CDs, where I just play certain albums on repeat, which is kind of ironic because in the age of music being so accessible, it's almost like too much choice can be the same as a bad choice because it can be so overwhelming to have Spotify or just to go to a music blog and see the volume of music that's released every day. Sometimes it's like, yo, it's a bit much. I just want to chill and be able to digest one album and fully embrace it and get the nuances of certain things before moving on. And I think that is how I know I'm starting to get older because... It's like, yo, I just don't necessarily have the energy to be keeping on top of every single thing. But that's enough of my get off my lawn rant, to be honest. Anyways, this artist, Toronto artist, pretty poppin'. But took me a long time to finally get around to the music, which is sad. But anyways, better late than never. And I am talking about Daniel Caesar. And a lot of people are probably going to give me a serious side eye. And to you, I'm sorry. But, you know, there's many albums that I've just been listening to in the meantime. Anyways, I would say this album is kind of for the people who like to disparage our generation and say that all the music that comes out now sucks. And you know what? To some extent, I can see why that would be a fun or easily holdable viewpoint, but if you're willing to actually engage with the music, you there is so much talent, and I've said this before, and I'm probably biased, but there are a lot of really good artists who are taking really good risks. Last week, I talked about Kendrick Lamar and the Damn album, and I just feel like that's an artist who's really committed to his craft, and I feel like in 20 years... We will look back on Kendrick as being someone who was one of the artists of our time. And so on that note, this is a song that feels like an R&B ballad for people who think that real R&B doesn't exist anymore. It's just kind of that smooth, laid back, and it just has such a warm sound to the point where... It just feels like very intimate and just so it's not even like a summer season song or a winter season song. It's just a song that you play where you're like, yeah, I feel good. I feel nice. It's not particularly upbeat, but it's not particularly morose. So you just have this perfect slow jam that I feel like even people who hate 
millennial actually you know what? i'm kind of over the term millennial to be honest but music of this generation can still appreciate it and it is the song get you by daniel featuring cali uchis probably butchered that but sorry anyways let's listen to a little bit of it and it's embarrassing that i'm this late to daniel caesar but whatever we've reached the end of another episode you can find me on twitter at melissa hote that's at m-e-l-i-s-s-a-h-a-u-t-e if you haven't done so already you can subscribe to the podcast on itunes and google play feel free to leave a comment or a rating you can also now like the yyz podcast facebook page that's yyz podcast on facebook and if you want to send me an email with feedback information music you can do so at yyz podcast at gmail.com podcast music by simbo follow him on soundcloud peace